Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and the Murder of Roger Ackroyd, a great mystery by Agatha Christie. Today, chapters 11 and 12. This is your host, this is your host John Hagedorn. Great to be with you. And now, chapter 11, Poirot pays a call. I was slightly nervous when I rang the bell at Marby Grange the following afternoon. I wondered very much what Poirot expected to find out. He had entrusted the job to me. Why? Was it because, as in the case of questioning Major Blunt, he wished to remain in the background? The wish, intelligible in the first case, seemed to me quite meaningless here. My meditations were interrupted by the advent of a smart parlor-maid. Yes, Mrs. Foliot was at home. I was ushered into a big drawing-room, and looked round me curiously as I waited for the mistress of the house. A large, bare room, some good bits of old china, and some beautiful etchings, shabby covers, and curtains. A lady's room in every sense of the term. I turned from the inspection of a Bartolozzi on the wall as Mrs. Foliot came into the room. She was a tall woman with untidy brown hair and a very winning smile. "'Dr. Shepard?' she said hesitatingly. "'That is my name,' I replied. "'I must apologize for calling upon you like this, "'but I wanted some information about a parlor-maid "'previously employed by you, Ursula Bourne.' "'With the utterance of the name, "'the smile vanished from her face, "'and all the cordiality froze out of her manner. "'She looked uncomfortable and ill at ease. "'Ursula Bourne! "'Ursula Bourne?' she said, hesitatingly. "'Yes,' I said. "'Perhaps you don't remember the name.' "'Oh, yes, of course. I, I remember perfectly.' "'She left you just over a year ago, I understand?' "'Yes. Yes, she did. That is quite right. "'And you were satisfied with her while she was with you? "'How long was she with you, by the way?' "'Oh, a year or two. I can't remember exactly how long. "'She... she is very capable.' "'I'm sure you will find her quite satisfactory. "'I didn't know she was leaving Fernley. "'I hadn't the least idea of it.' "'Can you tell me anything about her?' I asked. Uh, "'Anything about her?' "'Yes, where she comes from, who her people are, that sort of thing.' Mrs. Foliot's face wore more than ever its frozen look. "'I don't know at all.' "'Who was she with before she came to you?' "'I'm afraid I don't remember.' There was a spark of anger now underlying her nervousness. She flung up her head in a gesture that was vaguely familiar. "'Is it really necessary to ask all these questions?' "'Not at all,' I said, with an air of surprise and a tinge of apology in my manner. "'I had no idea you would mind answering them. I'm very sorry.' Her anger left her, and she became confused again. "'Oh, I don't mind answering them. I assure you I don't. Why should I? It, it just seemed a little odd, you know. That's all. A little odd.' "'One advantage of being a medical practitioner is that you can usually tell when people are lying to you. I should have known from Mrs. Foliot's manner, if from nothing else, that she did mind answering my questions. Minded intensely. She was thoroughly uncomfortable and upset.' "'and there was plainly some mystery in the background. "'I judged her to be a woman quite unused to deception of any kind. 
and consequently rendered acutely uneasy when forced to practice it. A child could have seen through her. But it was also clear that she had no intention of telling me anything further. Whatever the mystery centering around Ursula Bourne might be, I was not going to learn it through Mrs. Foliot. Defeated, I apologized once more for disturbing her, took my hat, and departed. I went to see a couple of patients and arrived home about six o'clock. Caroline was sitting beside the wreck of tea things. She had that look of suppressed exultation on her face, which I know only too well. It is a sure sign with her of either the getting or the giving of information. I wondered which it had been. "'I've had a very interesting afternoon,' began Caroline, as I dropped into my own particular easy chair and stretched out my feet to the inviting blaze in the fireplace. "'Have you?' I asked. "'Miss Gannett dropped into tea?' "'Miss Gannett is one of the chief of our newsmongers.' "'Guess again,' said Caroline, with intense complacency. "'I guessed several times, working slowly through all the members of Caroline's intelligence corps.' My sister received each guest with a triumphant shake of the head. In the end, she volunteered the information herself. "'Monsieur Poirot,' she said. "'Now, what do you think of that?' I thought a good many things of it, but I was careful not to say them to Caroline. "'Why did he come?' I asked. "'To see me, of course. He said that knowing my brother so well, he hoped he might be permitted to make the acquaintance of his charming sister.' "'You're a charming sister. "'I've got mixed up, but you know what I mean.' "'What did he talk about?' I asked. "'He told me a lot about himself and his cases. "'You know that Prince Paul of Mauritania, "'the one who just married a dancer?' "'Yes. "'I saw a most intriguing paragraph about her "'in society snippets the other day, "'hinting that she was really a Russian Grand Duchess, "'one of the Tsar's daughters "'who managed to escape from the Bolsheviks.' "'Well, it seems that Monsieur Poirot solved a baffling murder mystery "'that threatened to involve them both. "'Prince Paul was beside himself with gratitude. "'Did he give him an emerald tie-pin the size of a plover's egg?' "'I inquired sarcastically. "'He didn't mention it. Why?' "'Nothing,' I said. "'I thought it was always done. "'It is in detective fiction, anyway.' The super-detective always has his rooms littered with rubies and pearls and emeralds from grateful royal clients. "'It's very interesting to hear about these things from the inside,' said my sister complacently. "'It would be, to Caroline. I could not but admire the ingenuity of Monsieur Hercule Boirot, who had selected unerringly the case of all others that would most appeal to an elderly maiden living in a small village.' "'Did he tell you if the dancer was really a grand duchess?' I inquired. "'He was not at liberty to speak,' said Caroline importantly. "'I wondered how far Poirot had strained the truth in talking to Caroline. "'Probably not at all. "'He had conveyed his innuendos by means of his eyebrows and shoulders. "'And after all this,' I remarked, "'I suppose you were ready to eat out of his hand. "'Don't be coarse, James!' "'I don't know where you get these vulgar expressions from.' "'Probably from my only link with the outside world, my patience. "'Unfortunately, my practice does not lie amongst royal princes "'and interesting Russian emigres.' "'Caroline pushed her spectacles up and looked at me. "'You seem very grumpy, James. "'It must be your liver. "'A blue pill, I think, tonight.' 
"'To see me in my own home, "'you would never imagine that I was a doctor of medicine. "'Caroline does the home prescribing "'both for herself and me.' "'Damn my liver!' I said irritably. "'Did you talk about the murder at all?' "'Well, naturally, James. "'What else is there to talk about locally? "'I was able to set Monsieur Poirot right upon several points. "'He was very grateful to me. "'He said I had the makings of a born detective in me, "'and a wonderful psychological insight into human nature. "'Caroline was exactly like a cat "'that is full to overflowing with rich cream. "'She was positively purring.' He talked a lot about the little gray cells of the brain and of their functions. His own, he says, are of the first quality. He would say so, I remarked bitterly. Modesty is certainly not his middle name. I wish you would not be so horribly American, James. He thought it very important that Ralph should be found as soon as possible, and induced to come forward and give an account of himself. He says that his disappearance will produce a very unfortunate impression at the inquest. "'And what did you say to that?' "'I agreed with him,' said Caroline, importantly. "'And I was able to tell him the way people were already talking about it.' "'Caroline?' I said sharply. "'Did you tell Monsieur Poirot what you overheard in the wood that day?' "'I did,' said Caroline, complacently. "'I got up and began to walk about. "'You realize what you're doing, I hope. "'You're putting a halter round Ralph Patone's neck.' "'as surely as you're sitting in that chair.' "'Not at all,' said Caroline, quite unruffled. "'I was surprised you hadn't told him.' "'I took very good care not to,' I said. "'I'm fond of that boy.' "'So am I. "'That's why I say you're talking nonsense. "'I don't believe Ralph did it, "'and so the truth can't hurt him, "'and we ought to give Monsieur Poirot "'all the help we can. "'Why, think?' "'Very likely Ralph was out with that identical girl "'on the night of the murder, "'and if so, he's got a perfect alibi.' "'If he's got a perfect alibi,' I retorted, "'why doesn't he come forward and say so?' Mm, "'Might get the girl into trouble,' said Caroline, sapiently. "'But if Monsieur Poirot gets hold of her "'and puts it to her as her duty, "'she'll come forward of her own accord and clear Ralph.' "'You seem to have invented a romantic fairy story of your own,' I said. "'You read too many trashy novels, Caroline. I've always told you so.' I dropped into my chair again. "'Did Poirot ask you any more questions?' I inquired. "'Only about the patience you had that morning.' "'The patience?' I demanded, unbelievingly. "'Yes, your surgery patients. How many, and who they were?' "'Do you mean to say you were able to tell him that?' I demanded. "'Caroline is really amazing.' "'Why not?' asked my sister triumphantly. "'I can see the path up to the surgery door perfectly from this window. "'And I've got an excellent memory, James, much better than yours. "'Let me tell you.' "'I'm sure you have,' I murmured mechanically. "'My sister went on, checking the names on her fingers.' "'There was old Mrs. Bennet "'and that boy from the farm with the bad finger. "'Dolly Grice to have a needle out of her finger. "'That American steward off the liner. "'Let me see. That's four. "'Yes, and old George Evans with his ulcer. "'And lastly,' she paused significantly. "'Well?' "'Caroline brought out her climax triumphantly. 
she hissed in the most approved style, aided by the fortunate number of S's at her disposal. "'Miss Russell!' she said back in her chair and looked at me meaningly. And when Caroline looks at you meaningly, it is impossible to miss it. "'I don't know what you mean,' I said, quite untruthfully. "'Why shouldn't Miss Russell consult me about her bad knee?' "'Bad knee?' said Caroline. "'Fiddlesticks! No more bad knee than you and I. She was after something else.' "'What?' I asked. Caroline had to admit that she didn't know. "'But depend upon it, that was what he was trying to get at. Monsieur Poirot, I mean. There's something fishy about that woman, and he knows it.' "'Precisely the remark Mrs. Ackroyd made to me yesterday,' I said, "'that there was something fishy about Miss Russell.' "'Ah,' said Caroline darkly. "'Mrs. Ackroyd, there's another.' "'Another what?' "'Caroline refused to explain her remarks. "'She merely nodded her head several times, "'rolled up her knitting, "'and went upstairs to don the high mauve silk blouse "'and the gold locket, "'which she calls dressing for dinner. "'I stayed there staring into the fire "'and thinking over Caroline's words. "'Had Poirot really come to gain information "'about Miss Russell, "'or was it only Caroline's tortuous mind "'that interpreted everything "'according to her own ideas?' There had certainly been nothing in Miss Russell's manner that morning to arouse suspicion. At least. I remembered her persistent conversation on the subject of drug-taking, and from that she had led the conversation to poisons and poisoning. But there was nothing in that. Ackroyd had not been poisoned. Still, it was odd. I heard Caroline's voice, rather acid in note, calling from the top of the stairs. "'James, you'll be late for dinner.' I put some coal on the fire and went upstairs obediently. It was well at any price to have peace in the home. We'll return with Chapter 12, right after these sponsor messages. And now Chapter 12 of The Murder of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie. Round the Table A joint inquest was held on Monday. I do not propose to give the proceedings in detail. To do so would only be to go over the same ground again and again. By arrangement with the police, very little was allowed to come out. I gave evidence as to the cause of Ackroyd's death and the probable time. The absence of Ralph Patone was commented on by the coroner, but not unduly stressed. Afterwards, Poirot and I had a few words with Inspector Raglan. The inspector was very grave— "'It looks bad, Mr. Poirot,' he said. "'I'm trying to judge the thing fair and square. "'I'm a local man, and I've seen Captain Petone many times in Cranchester. "'I'm not wanting him to be the guilty one, but it's bad, whichever way you look at it. "'If he's innocent, why doesn't he come forward? "'We've got evidence against him, but it's just possible that that evidence could be explained away. "'Then why doesn't he give up an explanation?' A lot more lay behind the inspector's words than I knew at the time. Ralph's description had been wired to every port and railway station in England. The police everywhere were on the alert. His rooms in town were being watched, and any houses he had been known to be in the habit of frequenting. With such a cordon, it seemed impossible that Ralph should be able to evade detection. He had no luggage, and as far as anyone knew, no money." "'I can't find anyone who saw him at the station that night. 
continued the inspector. "'And yet he's well known down here, "'and you'd think somebody would have noticed him. "'There's no news from Liverpool, either.' "'You think he went to Liverpool?' queried Borrow. "'Well, it's on the cards. "'That telephone message from the station, "'just three minutes before the Liverpool Express left. "'There ought to be something in that.' "'Unless he was deliberately intended to throw you off the scent, "'that might just possibly be the point of the telephone message.' "'That's an idea,' said the inspector eagerly. "'Do you really think that's the explanation of the telephone call?' "'My friend,' said Poirot gravely, "'I do not know, but I will tell you this. "'I believe that when we find the explanation of that telephone call, "'we shall find the explanation of the murder.' "'You said something like that before, I remember,' I observed, looking at him curiously. Poirot nodded. "'I always come back to it,' he said seriously. "'It seems to me utterly irrelevant,' I declared. "'I wouldn't say that,' demurred the inspector. "'But I must confess, I think Mr. Poirot here harps on it a little too much. We've better clues than that. The fingerprints are on the dagger, for instance.' Poirot became suddenly very foreign in manner, as he often did when excited over anything. "'Monsieur l'inspecteur,' he said, "'beware of the blind, the little street that has no end to it.' Inspector Raglan stared, but I was quicker. "'You mean a blind alley?' I said. "'That is it, the blind street that leads nowhere. So it may be with those fingerprints. They may lead you nowhere.' "'I don't see how that can well be,' said the police officer. "'I suppose you're hinting that they're faked? "'I've read of such things being done, "'though I can't say I've ever come across it in my experience. "'But fake or true, they're bound to lead somewhere.' Poirot merely shrugged his shoulders, flinging out his arms wide. "'The inspector then showed us various enlarged photographs of the fingerprints "'and proceeded to become technical on the subject of loops and whorls.' "'Come now,' he said at last, annoyed by Poirot's detached manner. "'You've got to admit that those prints were made by someone who was in the house that night.' "'Bien entendu,' said Poirot, nodding his head. "'Well, I've taken the prints of every member of the household, every one, mind you, from the old lady down to the kitchen-maid. "'I don't think Mrs. Ackroyd would enjoy being referred to as the old lady. "'She must spend a considerable amount on cosmetics.' "'Everyone's,' repeated the inspector, fussily. "'Yeah, including mine,' I said dryly. "'Very well. None of them correspond. That leaves us two alternatives. Ralph Patone, or the mysterious stranger the doctor here tells us about. When we get hold of those two... "'Much valuable time may have been lost,' broke in Poirot. "'I don't quite get you, Mr. Poirot.' "'You have taken the prints of everyone in the house, you say,' murmured Borrow. "'Is that the exact truth you are telling me there, Monsieur l'Inspecteur?' "'Certainly.' "'Without overlooking anyone?' "'Without overlooking anyone.' "'The quick, or the dead?' "'For a moment, the inspector looked bewildered "'at what he took to be a religious observation. "'Then he reacted slowly. "'You mean?' "'The dead, Monsieur l'Inspecteur.' 
"'the inspector still took a minute or two to understand. "'I am suggesting,' said Poirot placidly, "'that the fingerprints on the dagger handle "'are those of Mr. Ackroyd himself. "'It is an easy manner to verify. "'His body is still available.' "'But why? "'What would be the point of it? "'You're surely not suggesting suicide, Mr. Poirot.' "'Ah, no. "'My theory is that the murderer wore gloves "'or wrapped something round his hand. "'After the blow was struck, "'he picked up the victim's hand "'and closed it round the dagger handle. "'But why?' "'Poirot shrugged his shoulders again. "'To make a confusing case even more confusing. "'Well,' said the inspector, "'I'll look into it. "'What gave you that idea in the first place?' "'When you are so kind as to show me the dagger "'and draw attention to the fingerprints, "'I know very little of loops and whirls. "'See, I confess my ignorance frankly. "'But it did occur to me "'that the position of the prints was somewhat awkward. "'Not so would I have held the dagger in order to strike. "'Naturally, with the right hand brought up over the shoulder backwards, "'it would have been difficult to put it in exactly the right position.' Inspector Ragman stared at the little man. Poirot, with an air of great unconcern, flecked a speck of dust from his coat sleeve. Well, said the inspector, it's an idea. I'll look into it all right. But don't you be disappointed if nothing comes of it. He endeavored to make his tone kindly and patronizing. Poirot watched him go off. Then he turned to me with twinkling eyes. Another time, he observed. I must be more careful of his amour propre. And now that we are left to our own devices, what do you think, my good friend, of the little reunion of the family? The little reunion, as Poirot called it, took place about half an hour later. We sat round the table in the dining room at Fernley, Poirot at the head of the table, like the chairman of some ghastly board meeting. The servants were not present, so we were six in all. Mrs. Ackroyd, Flora, Major Blunt, young Raymond, Poirot, and myself. When everyone was assembled, Poirot rose and bowed. Messieurs, mesdames, I have called you together for a certain purpose. He paused. To begin with, I want to make a very special plea to Mademoiselle. To me? said Flora. Mademoiselle, you are engaged to Captain Ralph Patton. "'If anyone is in his confidence, you are. "'I beg you, most earnestly, "'if you know of his whereabouts, "'to persuade him to come forward. "'One little minute,' as Flora raised her hand to speak. "'Say nothing till you have well reflected. "'Mademoiselle, his position grows daily more dangerous. "'If he had come forward at once, "'no matter how damning the facts, "'he might have had a chance of explaining them away.' But this silence, this flight, what can it mean? Surely only one thing, knowledge of guilt. Mademoiselle, if you really believe in his innocence, persuade him to come forward before it is too late. Flora's face had gone very white. Too late? She repeated, very low. Poirot leaned forward, looking at her. See now, mademoiselle. "'he said very gently. "'It is Papa Poirot who asks you this. 
the old Papaporo, who has much knowledge and much experience. I would not seek to entrap you, mademoiselle. Will you not trust me and tell me where Ralph Paton is hiding? The girl rose and stood facing him. Monsieur Poirot, she said in a clear voice, I swear to you, swear solemnly, that I have no idea where Ralph is, and that I have neither seen him nor heard from him either on the day of, of the murder or since. She sat down again. Poirot gazed at her in silence for a minute or two. Then he brought his hand down on the table with a sharp rap. Bien! That is that, he said. His face hardened. Now I appeal to these others who sit round this table. Mrs. Ackroyd, Major Blunt, Dr. Shepard, Mr. Raymond. You are all friends and intimates of the missing man. If you know where Ralph Paton is hiding, speak out now. There was a long silence. Poirot looked to each in turn. I beg of you, he said in a low voice. Speak out. But still there was silence, broken at last by Mrs. Ackroyd. I must say, she observed in a plaintive voice, that Ralph's absence is most peculiar, most peculiar indeed, not to come forward at such a time. It looks, you know, as though there was something behind it. I can't help thinking, Floretier, that it was a very fortunate thing your engagement was never formally announced. Mother! cried Flora angrily. Providence! declared Mrs. Ackroyd. I have a devout belief in Providence, a divinity that shapes our ends, as Shakespeare's beautiful line runs. Surely you don't make the Almighty directly responsible for thick ankles, Mrs. Ackroyd, do you? asked Geoffrey Raymond, his irresponsible laugh ringing out. His idea was, I think, to loosen the tension, but Mrs. Ackroyd threw him a glance of reproach and took out her handkerchief. Flora has been saved a terrible amount of notoriety and unpleasantness. Not for a moment did I think dear Ralph had anything to do with, with poor Roger's death. I don't think so. But then I have a trusting heart. I have always had one, ever since a child. I am loath to believe the worst of anyone. But, of course, one must remember that Ralph was in several air raids as a young boy. The results are apparent long after, sometimes, they say. People are not responsible for their actions in the least. They lose control, you know, without being able to help it. Mother, cried Flora, you don't think Ralph did it. Come, Mrs. Ackroyd, said Blunt. I don't know what to think, said Mrs. Ackroyd tearfully. It's all very upsetting. What would happen to the estate, I wonder, if Ralph were found guilty? Raymond pushed his chair away from the table violently. Major Blunt remained very quiet, looking thoughtfully at her. "'It's like shell-shock, you know,' said Mrs. Ackroyd obstinately. "'And I dare say Roger kept him very short of money, with the best intentions, of course. I can see you are all against me, but I do think it is very odd that Ralph has not come forward, and I must say I'm thankful Puller's engagement was never announced formally.' "'It will be tomorrow,' said Flora in a clear voice. "'Flora!' cried her mother, aghast. Flora had turned to the secretary. 
"'Will you send the announcement to the Morning Post "'and the Times, please, Mr. Raymond?' "'If you are sure that it's wise, Miss Ackroyd,' "'he replied gravely. "'She turned impulsively to Blunt. "'You understand,' she said. "'What else can I do? "'As things are, I must stand by Ralph. "'Don't you see that I must?' "'She looked very searchingly at him, "'and after a long pause, he nodded abruptly. "'Mrs. Ackroyd burst out into shrill protests. "'Flora remained unmoved. "'Then Raymond spoke.' "'I appreciate your motives, Miss Ackroyd, "'but don't you think you're being rather precipitate? "'Wait a day or two. "'Tomorrow,' said Flora in a clear voice. "'It's no good, Mother, going on like this. "'Whatever else I am, I am not disloyal to my friends.' "'Monsieur Poirot,' Mrs. Ackroyd appealed tearfully. "'Can't you say anything at all?' "'Nothing to be said,' interpolated Blunt. "'She's doing the right thing.' "'I'll stand by her through thick and thin.' "'Flora held out her hand to him. "'Thank you, Mr. Blunt,' she said. "'Mademoiselle,' said Poirot, "'will you let that old man congratulate you "'on your courage and your loyalty? "'And will you not misunderstand me if I ask you, "'ask you most solemnly "'to postpone the announcement you speak of "'for at least two days more?' "'Flora hesitated.' "'I ask you this in Ralph Patton's interest "'as much as in yours, mademoiselle. "'You frown. "'You do not see how that can be. "'But I assure you that it is so. "'Pas de blague. "'You put the case into my hands. "'You must not hamper me now.' "'Flora paused a few minutes before replying. "'I do not like it,' she said at last. "'But I will do what you say.' "'She sat down again at the table.' "'And now, messieurs and madames,' said Poirot rapidly, "'I will continue with what I was about to say. "'Understand this. "'I mean to arrive at the truth. "'The truth, however ugly in itself, "'is always curious and beautiful to the seeker after it. "'I am much aged. "'My powers may not be what they were.' "'Here he clearly expected a contradiction. "'In all probability,' "'This is the last case I shall ever investigate. "'But Hercule Poirot does not end with a failure. "'Messieurs and mesdames, I tell you, I mean to know, "'and I shall know, in spite of you all.' "'He brought out the last words provocatively, "'hurling them in our face as it were. "'I think we all flinched back a little, "'excepting Geoffrey Raymond, "'who remained good-humoured and imperturbable as usual.' "'How do you mean, in spite of us all?' he asked, with slightly raised eyebrows. "'But just that, monsieur. Every one of you in this room is concealing something from me.' He raised his hand as a faint murmur of protest arose. "'Yes, yes, I know what I am saying. It may be something unimportant, trivial, which is supposed to have no bearing on the case. But there it is.' Each one of you has something to hide. Come, now, am I right? His glance, challenging and accusing, swept round the table, and every pair of eyes dropped before his. Yes, mine as well. Ha! I am answered, said Poirot, with a curious laugh. He got up from his seat. I appeal to you all. Tell me the truth. "'A whole truth!' 
There was a silence. Will no one speak? He gave the same short laugh again. Ha! C'est dommage, he said, and went out. Well, the suspense is really building here with Agatha Christie's The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. We really do appreciate reviews, and we've had some really nice reviews lately I'd like to share with you. The first one, five stars. The show. I am an elderly lady in ill health. This series, 1001 Stories for the Road, is my secret pleasure. I listen at night by myself and find it so enjoyable to have great literature read really well. Thank you so much for this great entertainment. I would like also to recommend a book I read decades back entitled The Inheritance for your review. That one from Clyde's Apple Podcast U.S. And Clyde's, I will check that book out. Thank you so much for your review. I appreciate it very much. Next, more please multi-episodes. Five stars. I'm a big fan of all the 1001 Stories podcasts, especially the long multiple episode books. I especially like the Stories for the Road. Great variety and fun way to listen to and learn about things I wouldn't normally have thought to listen to. Keep up the great work. Now from Kajsa 2, Apple Podcast U.S. Thank you so much for these reviews. They are always appreciated. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. This is 1001 Stories for the Road. Please do share our show with friends. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon.